This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the 15th day of March 2022. It is a uh, cloudy morning here, but uh, a little bit of rain expected, but that's okay. I got uh, some seeds in the ground yesterday here on my little little slice of heaven, my little mini... (laughs) I call it a mini farm, my little two-acre farm here in uh, North Carolina. But uh, we got the garden started yesterday. I've uh, got the beds all made and uh, uh, got some seeds in the ground, so I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, I am in the process of constructing a beehive. Uh, for those of you that have known me for years, I'm probably are, are probably shocked. Uh, I'm actually going to be raising bees, uh, honeybees. It's, you know, our environment needs it. They're they're dying off, so. Um, I decided I was going to kind of do my part here in retirement and raise bees. And to, I'm not going to lie. I'm nervous about it. Um, I'm not one of those uh, people that's uh, a big fan of getting stung, although I'll have a suit on, but you're still going to get stung from time to time. And uh, uh, honeybees don't generally, uh, aren't generally aggressive, uh, at least the ones here in North America. So uh, we'll see how it goes, but uh, it should be fun. I'm trying out this new hive. It's called a flow hive. And it's kind of cool um, when it comes to harvesting the honey. You turn a key and it comes out of like a faucet into your jars. There's no scraping and spinning and all the other stuff involved. But uh, it's uh, we'll, we'll probably have some video up on, uh, on Facebook. Uh, so those of you that know me uh, and follow uh, the station and myself on Facebook will probably be able to have a laugh seeing uh, me all suited up and with bees flying all around, but, uh, I'm kind of excited about that. So I'm going to fit, finish the beehive up and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have our bees at the end of the month. Got some chickens coming. Uh, so, uh, farmer Jean. Yep. And my, my wife is loving this. She just, uh, she, she's tickled and, uh, uh, you know, and like I said, uh, my daughters found out that I was, I was going to be raising bees, and the basic reaction from my girls was, are you nuts? Uh, And uh, I don't think so, but we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, uh, good morning. Um, You know, it's funny. When uh, the lockout finally ended, everybody was like, oh, my God, it's going to be a free agent orgy. People are going to be signing all over the place, and uh, it's going to be hard to keep up. And look, there's no doubt that there have been, you know, a number of free agent signings. But what's interesting is is that the trade market seems to be more active right now than the free agent market. Uh, we saw it yesterday uh, with some trades between the Cincinnati Reds and the Seattle Mariners. Uh, we've seen it with uh, what's going on with the Yankees and the the Minnesota Twins. Now, yesterday, the Oakland Athletics. And the Atlanta Braves uh, with a big trade. 
And if you are a fan right now of the Oakland Athletics and the Cincinnati Reds, the season hasn't even started. Of course, and everybody's always optimistic before the season starts. But if you are a fan of the Reds or the A's, how the hell are you optimistic now? You've already, if you're the A's, you've already traded away Chris Bassett, who is arguably the ace of your staff, and you've traded away Matt Olson, a gold glove first baseman. So if you are an A's fan, you're like, well, we're screwed. You know, and, and I know that the A's have always done a pretty good job, and, you know, you got to give Billy Bean credit that no matter what they do, they seem to find a way to be competitive. But, man, I don't know how competitive they can possibly be. Uh, and, look, this, this, there's, this trade for Freddie Freeman is huge. Um, and the problem is, is that now you're a Braves fan. And, look, you've, you've won the World Series, so, you know, you're, you're obviously on a high. But Freddie Freeman, you could make the case that Freddie Freeman was the heart and soul of that Atlanta Braves team. And I say was because you can't bring him back now. I mean, you've got Matt Olson. Now, I suppose, you know, I guess you could still, and somebody DHs since they have the universal DH now. But I don't, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it makes it more likely that Freddie Freeman signs in Los Angeles. They seem to be the uh, the front runners. But if you're a Braves fan, Freddie Freeman's been on this team forever. He's the leader in the clubhouse of this team. What do you do now? You know, I mean, I guess if, you know, if you're still, if you're still winning and, and Matt Olson, you know, does what he has done. Look, this is a guy that last year played every day, hit 270, uh, hit 39 home runs. He's only 28 years old. He's a, a few years younger than Freddie Freeman. Um, so if, on the face of it, that's a great a great addition for the Atlanta Braves, but you've ripped the heart out of that team. You know, I, I'm trying to think of, a, you know, if, if you're a Red Sox fan, I'm trying to think of uh, uh, some kind of a comparison, but I guess it would be like uh, – Geez, I don't know. I guess, you know, let's say, uh, you know, back when David Ortiz was the heart and soul of that team, if you had traded him away and you brought back a guy that could put up comparative numbers and maybe was even a little bit better defensively and you could play at first base, but you've taken away uh, arguably one of the most popular players or the most popular player on that team and you've brought somebody back that's pretty good, but if you're a Red Sox fan at that point, you'd be like, eh. And if you're a Braves fan today, you know, on the one hand, you're like, wow, well, you know, this is one of the premier first basemen, you know, defensively and offensively. You know, look, he doesn't hit for a high average, but he's, I think he's a two, 265-ish career hitter. Hit a little bit better than that last year. But, you know, if you're looking at that as a, as a Braves fan, you're like, well, it's great, but we lost, like, our favorite guy. 
So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays in Atlanta. And, you know, and Atlanta gave up a lot to get this guy. You know, I mean, it wasn't like uh, uh, they uh, they got him for nothing. And, you know, one of the guys that they had to give up was one of the top prospects in their on their in their their system and by the way a very good friend of Ronald Acuña Jr. So you know again uh you know uh, Christian Pache. So you know if again if you're you know if you're the Braves you've given up Pache and a couple of other stud prospects you know, Oakland got a good deal back for this. I'm not, you know, Oakland didn't get hosed, right? But at the same time, you've gotten guys back that maybe aren't quite ready for primetime yet. Well, matter of fact, most of them aren't. You know, Pache had had a chance to, uh, to you know, make the team. He's only 23 years old, but he played in 22 games last year and hit 111. No. Now, maybe, you know... Maybe a change of scenery helps him. Again, he's only 23, so, you know, it's growing pains. You can't put a lot of stock in 22 games, but they're going to plan on playing this guy. I would think that uh, the plan would be for this guy to make the team out of spring training. Now, maybe he's not ready. We'll see. But, you know, and they also gave up their number two prospect. Pache was number one. They also gave up their number two prospect. And Shea Langoliers, who was a uh, a minor league catcher. And then they gave up a guy by the name of Ryan Cusick, who was their number nine prospect. And Joey Estes, their number 14 prospect. So you got four top 15 prospects out of the Atlanta organization, which is, by the way, is a very, very good minor league system. So Oakland did well from that standpoint. But Ace fans got to be, it's like this every damn year. Who are we going to sell this year? We're going to get back some prospects, you know, and we're going to have an opportunity to be good down the line. And, you know, we're going to be good down the line for a couple of years. And then as soon as we got to start paying these guys, they're going to be out the door. You know, and, it, it get, you know, and this is a franchise, by the way, that's trying to get a new ballpark. And they should because the, the place they play in is a dump. But they're trying to get a new ballpark, and yet at the same time, you're trading away your best players. You know, you're getting rid of you get rid of Bassett and Olson, and so your prospects for this year aren't very good right off the bat. You know, they've still got some guys that you know. Look, they're not going to be the the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, but they're not going to be that great. You know, and the fact that the Seattle Mariners made some big moves yesterday moves them up a notch in the American League West. The Angels have made some moves. They've actually got some pitching in there now, so maybe they've got an opportunity to be better. All of a sudden, the Oakland Athletics uh, are going to be fighting it out with the Texas Rangers to see who can finish last in that division. So uh, it's a bit of a mess if you are an Oakland A's fan. And the Cincinnati Reds are in the same boat. And again, the Reds do this time after time. And the Reds were a team that was in contention for a good part of last year. Well, now you've traded away 
a couple of big pieces of that team, and they may not be done. They traded away Eugenio Suarez and Jesse Winker yesterday to the Seattle Mariners. And, if you're, again, if you're a Seattle fan, you're thrilled. Jerry DePoto did a great job. Right? But, you know, you're bringing in a guy that now slots right into where Kyle Seager was. Kyle Seager, who just retired. The question was, who was going to play third base for the Seattle Mariners? Well, Eugenio Suarez is your man. And Suarez is under contract for the next three years, about $11 million bucks a year, which, you know, it's not chump change. But for a guy that is capable of doing what he does, he's a, he's a, he's a, a decent third baseman with a lot of pop. Now, he does strike out a lot. There's no question about that. And, you know, he only hit 198 last year, but he's a better hitter than that. But he still hit 31 home runs. And by the way, in the last month of the season, this guy showed more of who he is. Now, he, he he's not a 370 hitter, but the last month of the season, he hit 370. You know, Suarez is a guy that is a 240, 250, 260 hitter that can get you 30 bombs a year and can drive in 90 to 100 runs. That is a huge get for the Seattle Mariners. Jesse Winker had his best year of his career last year. Hit 305, 24 homers. This is a guy that absolutely tears up right-handed pitching. You know, and there was some talk about, well, he may be a platoon. No, you're going to put him in the lineup every day. I understand he's, you know, look, he's a left-handed batter, but and he tears up righties, but he's capable of hitting lefties as well. This is a guy that is going to be in there every day. So you've gotten two all-stars from the Cincinnati Reds. And, look, uh, not for nothing, but the Reds didn't give up a whole hell of a lot. Uh, they did give up their, their top pitching prospect, Brandon Williamson, um, is going over there. So that's the that's kind of the linchpin of the deal. They also sent over Justin Dunn, uh, another pitcher. Um, you know, look, again, Dunn was a guy that, that pitched a little bit last year, ran into some injury issue uh, problems, got shut down, had a shoulder problem. So you don't know what you're getting there. And, and uh, Seattle sent over Jake Fraley, an outfielder who hit uh, 210 last year. So it's not like Cincinnati got a haul back. Williamson is the guy that that is the key. Williamson needs to turn out to be something. But you know the, but my point is is that when you look at the Reds, you know, they've still got Luis Castillo who's getting ready to come into uh to a walk year. Don't be shocked. And Luis Castillo has been one of their best starting pitchers the last few years. Don't be surprised if he's next. You know, the it's it's a fire sale. So, you know, again, if you are a fan of those teams, what do you do? And you know, now we, you know they've got these new anti-tanking rules that they've put into this collective bargaining agreement, where you know uh, it's going to be a lottery system, so it's not a slam dunk that. Uh, the team with the worst record uh, gets the first draft pick. But right now, the leaders in the clubhouse for that are the Pittsburgh Pirates, because they just stink. Uh, probably the Marlins. And now the Reds and the A's. 
The A's may be the worst team in the American League. Well, the Texas Rangers are going to be better with the with the moves the Rangers have made. You know, bringing in Corey Seager. Uh, you know, they've made some some good moves there. That that Rangers team is going to be better if they can find enough pitching. That team is going to be better. The A's are going to be the worst team in the American League West, and it may not be close. So how do you how do you go? Uh, you know, if you're an Oakland fan, how do you go watch that crap? You know, I, I've always wondered that. Now, I remember some times when I was young. I remember, you know, the Red Sox stunk. You know, there were some times in the, in the early 70s, the Red Sox weren't that great. And, you know, maybe, mid, well, yeah, probably the early 70s. And there were some times they weren't very good. And, you know, Fenway Park was a ghost town. They, you know, they weren't selling out. Uh... But I'm used to a Red Sox, you know, the, for the Red Sox to be competitive every year and the place to be full. You know, it doesn't happen very often that they stink. But if you're a team, you know, if you're a fan of a team like Pittsburgh where they haven't been relevant for a long, long time, Oakland has somehow always managed to stay relevant, and I guess I shouldn't count them out, but I think they're going to be horrible just based on, on, on the moves that they've made so far. If you're if you're a fan, how do you go watch that? If you're a Cincinnati Reds fan, how do you go watch that? You know, other than the fact that the you know the stadium's you know decent. You know, at least at least in Cincinnati, you've got a nice stadium to go to as opposed to Oakland. But I I don't know. You know, and, and when when Rob Manfred wants to say that owning a major league baseball team is a losing proposition, the problem is is that you have owners like the owners of the Pirates and the A's, and the Reds that are constantly retooling, that they don't allow themselves to get good and stay good for long periods of time. And I know that the money is, look, I know the money is ridiculous. I mean, that's part of what the whole CBA thing was about. But if you can't compete, if you can't, if financially you can't, get the hell out. You know, it's the same thing with the Kansas City Royals. You know, at some point, if you're if you're a fan of that team, you got to say, look, you know, how do you going to expect? Why do you expect me to keep plunking down my money to know that our season's over before it even starts? You know, and that's if you're a fan of the Reds this year, <laughs> your season's over. Now maybe they surprise me and make some kind of move that's going to make a difference, but you know, and and if, for instance. If they are indeed going to move Luis Castillo, who I'm sure there's a lot of clubs would like to have, if they do decide to move him, you better get some 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 major league ready players back. You better get some guys in there that can play this year if you have any hope of being competitive. You know, you're in a division, you know, with the St. Louis Cardinals, who you know are going to be competitive. You know, you know that. Uh, uh, that the Milwaukee Brewers are going to be competitive. You know, so if you're a Reds fan, you got to be hoping they're done and you can kind of put this together with Band-Aids and bailing wire and somehow stay in it and give fans something to watch for part of the season. But, man, I'll tell you what, if I'm a Reds fan right now, I'm an A's fan right now, I am pissed. You know, and on a smaller on a smaller scale, maybe as a Braves fan, you're a little pissed because I think everybody assumed that at some point the 
Braves were going to swoop in at the last minute and re-sign Freddie Freeman, and he was going to stay in Atlanta. And here's the thing. Just the other day, I want to say Sunday or Monday, there was talk that the Braves had re-engaged with Freddie Freeman. Now, what I'm wondering is, is if they re-engaged with Freddie Freeman and his agent and found out that the where the money was, and maybe the money was, you know, out, outrageous, and the Braves said, well, we're not paying that. And that's why the, the they pulled the trigger on the deal for Olsen. That could well be the case. You know, and we won't know that until Freddie does sign somewhere, and maybe you know when when he signs his deal with the with the Dodgers, if that's who it turns out to be. Supposedly, the uh, uh, the Yankees are still in on it as well. If uh, if they pull, you know, that deal off, and we find that it's some ridiculous amount, like you know, thirty million dollars a year, then you know I can understand why the Braves may have backed off. But again, if you're a Braves fan, that you've you've taken away if not the most popular player, uh, somebody who is in the uh, the top one or two from that from that team. So, you know, and, and I feel, but look, Matt Olson's an Atlanta guy. He, he grew up in the Atlanta area. He's a local kid. So it's kind of coming home for him, and yet the, the reaction has been lukewarm at best, even though you're bringing back a guy that's from that area. That tells you how beloved Freddie Freeman is. And I feel bad for Matt Olson. Because Matt Olson is almost in a situation where he has to have a monster year for any for people to embrace him. You know? Look, if the season starts and Matt Olson's, you know, hitting three hundred or hitting two eighty even through the first month of the season and driving in runs, playing making great plays at first base, and you know, maybe all will be uh, forgotten. But it puts a lot of pressure on this kid. And, you know, uh, I mean, I guess pressure is relative. I mean, it's not like he's uh, going out digging ditches and trying to bring home uh, a, a paycheck for his family. I mean, he's, he's, he's not going to have to worry financially. I just meant professionally the pressure's on, you know. And God, God forbid, you know, he start the season struggling and, you know, first month of the season, uh, Matt Olson's hitting 150. Because it it could it has the uh, the potential to get ugly in Atlanta very quickly. But again, Matt Olson's a guy who is going to be fine, even if he struggles that first month. Um, he's going to be fine. I have to admit, I'm a little bit disappointed now that I live down in the area. I'm only two and a half hours from Atlanta, and I'm going to see him when they play the Red Sox. I was looking forward to seeing Freddie Freeman, uh, but uh, uh, I'll be there early in the season to find out how. Atlanta fans are embracing Matt Olson. It's going to be uh, an interesting thing to watch, no question about that. It is 29 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we got lots more to talk about. Uh, some uh, injury news out of San Diego, some uh, near-fatal injury news out of Mets camp. That was a scary thing. We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake up call here on a Tuesday morning. Um, so word came down yesterday, breaking news, uh, uh, watching it. And, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Is going to be out, uh, likely for three months after it was revealed that he was involved in a motorcycle accident 
right about the time that the lockout happened or right after the lockout happened. And he has a fractured wrist and is going to have to have surgery. You know, and, uh, you know, he said that, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he had the accident. There was some bumps and some scrapes and stuff like that. And, uh, but when he started ramping things up for spring training, he was suddenly surprised that he had pain in that wrist. So he had obviously broken the wrist on that accident, had never uh, been taken care of properly, didn't heal right, and now they've got a mess. Um, but, but it is the, you know, it's the disturbing thing, I guess, is that when he was questioned about it, and I can't remember who it was that asked him. Uh, somebody asked him when exactly the motorcycle accident happened. You know what his response was? Which one? <laughs> so so uh, perhaps he went down more than once with his bike. Uh, not a good thing there, Fernando. Uh, so uh, perhaps... Uh, perhaps motorcycle riding should not be uh, something that he engages in on a regular basis. But, you know, here's the thing. And and I and if you're a Padre fan, well, you're pissed off that he, you know, he did something like this and now he's going to be out for three months. Look, this is a guy that is one of the best young players in baseball right now. Um, and, and, you know, you're looking right now, that means he's out till the All-Star break probably. Um, but think about this and he's a guy that hit 42 home runs last year, uh, stole 25 bases. And that's despite the fact he was on a disabled list, I think three separate times because of shoulder problems. And I got to think going down on a motorcycle is not helping that shoulder either, by the way. Um, but here's what people should be a little bit upset about and not necessarily at Tatis. Well, I mean, you can be upset because he's because he's a bad motorcycle driver, but if the lockout hadn't happened and he had had that accident, he could have consulted with the Padre medical staff immediately. But because of the lockout that lasted 99 days, Fernando Tatis was not allowed to be in contact with anybody from the organization, from the front office to the medical staff to the coaching staff. So he wasn't able to consult with the people that could have maybe taken care of that right away. If he had had that accident in December, which is supposedly when it happened, if he had that accident in December and had gotten with the Padre medical staff immediately, they could have treated it. They could have looked at it and said, yeah, you need surgery. Let's get it done. And he could have been ready to go. Maybe he only misses a month of the season. But now because of the lockout, he couldn't get help. It sat there untreated, basically. I mean, I'm sure he did something, but it, it sat there uh, not properly healing for three months, and then as soon as he tries to start doing things, it gets worse. So uh, he his injury or his absence for three months could be a direct result of the lockout, which is unfortunate. It's unfortunate. You know, I mean... Uh, and it would, there was a, uh, I can't remember. I think it was Pete Abraham in the Boston globe, uh, wrote a thing that, uh, he was looking forward to the report 
uh, that usually came out, and I can't remember uh, Jason Stark or Jeff Passan. One of those guys does it. They always they always compile a list of like freak accidents or things that happen to guys in the off season that that stopped them from being ready for spring training. I don't think anybody saw uh, the Fernando Tatis thing coming, but you know we always see that in off season. Guys do things on their free time because they can, and uh, they get themselves hurt. And uh, unless it's specifically written in their contract that you can't do something, you know that's what happens. But it's unfortunate that, you know, they maybe could have gotten on this a lot sooner. So that's a setback, obviously, uh, for the Padres. And now they're going to need a shortstop for three months. What do they do? Because, of course, people immediately say, well, sign Carlos Correa for one year. Because there has been some talk that Correa might sign a one-year deal for a ton of money and then go back into free agency again next year. I don't know why the hell he'd want to do that, but, uh, you know, Whatever, I mean, but there's some talk that, well, maybe the Padres will just throw $40 million at Carlos Correa. They're not doing that. They're not going to throw $40 million at Carlos Correa to come play shortstop for them for three months and then have Fernando Tatis come off the uh, the injured list, and now what do you do? You know, I, I don't think that they need that, and I don't think the Padres are going to spend that kind of money for a guy that is for, you know, $40 million bucks, what which is probably what it would be for a year. If, if Correa truly is uh, interested in doing something like that, which has been floated. So, but, you know, Tatis has, uh, has put his club in a difficult situation, but it's Major League Baseball that maybe, maybe is more responsible for this than anything. You know, instead of just continuing to negotiate with the, with the current CBA in place, because Major League Baseball decided to lock the players out, these are the kinds of things that happen because guys can have accidents in the offseason and now all of a sudden not have access to the team's medical staff. So uh, the other scary thing that we learned about yesterday was that Pete Alonso was involved in a car crash on Sunday. And if you saw the pictures and the video of this, uh, you, the first thing I, I thought it was like, Jesus, he's lucky to be alive. Uh, he was on his way to spring training and a driver ran a red light and T-boned his truck. And when you see the video, I mean, his car, his truck is on its side and it is nasty. I mean, in order for him to even get out, uh, Alonzo had to kick the windshield to even be able to get out of his truck. Now, he's very lucky that uh, he didn't seem to suffer any major injuries. I'm sure he's sore as hell, you know, uh, and when he was first interviewed, I'm sure there was still a lot of adrenaline running, uh, but I'm sure he's a little bit sore and maybe a little bit bruised up, but no major injuries, and he can thank his lucky stars for that. I mean, it was frightening as hell. It is probably nothing short of a miracle. So, uh, by the way, another uh, – uh, poster child right there for wearing seatbelts. You know, if if he hadn't been wearing a seatbelt, uh, it could have been very, very bad. So fortunately, he's okay. Uh, other Mets news from yesterday. Uh, Jacob DeGrom was interviewed. Now, DeGrom, who is arguably one of the best three or four pitchers in Major League Baseball, but, but also arguably uh, we're not sure how healthy he can stay. And uh, – Got shut down early last year. I think he made, what, like about 18 starts last year? His numbers were phenomenal in those 18 starts he made, but uh, 
you know, shoulder and arm troubles uh, put him on the injured list for a good portion of the season. Um, he uh, was talking to reporters and basically said, look, uh, I'm opting out. He's got an opt-out at the end of this year in his contract, and he said that he's going to take that opt-out. So it is going to be up to the Mets uh, to make the next move, and they're going to have to decide. And I think it may be as simple as show us that you're healthy and you know we'll, we'll make it worth your while. I can't believe that Mets ownership, Steve Cohen, with the money that he is prepared to throw around and – and the money that he's got, I mean, he's got so much money that in this new CBA they put in a special uh, uh, tier for the luxury tax, uh, called, and they called it basically the Cohen tax because they are scared to death how much money this guy might spend. Uh, he's already come out and said, somebody asked him, uh, you know, would you spend $300 million? And he said, yeah, I probably would. This is a guy that's got a ton of money. He's got billions and this is his toy. He has wanted to own the New York Mets for a long, long time, and now he does, and he is going to enjoy the hell out of it. But DeGrom has said that he is going to opt out. And the Mets have said that they are uh, they're not going to think about extensions with anybody right now. They said they're not seriously thinking about it. Uh, he said, Cohen said at the appropriate time. And basically then when pushed on it, he said, well, the appropriate time is going to be uh, when the season's over, we'll figure it out. And he said, and Jake will do what he does. But I, you know, look, and teams, make no mistake, teams are going to want Jacob DeGrom and they will throw, uh, you know, a vault at him. The thing here is that um, Steve Cohen's got a bigger vault than anybody else in baseball. So if they want to retain him, they'll be able to do that. Unless, you know, unless DeGrom feels that he's not being treated fairly, but I think the Mets have been great with him, and I don't think he's got any gripes as far as the organization itself goes. Um, but uh, he's – and by the way uh, – He's under contract. He's got the opt out. But even if he if he if he doesn't take the opt out, he's going to make thirty four and a half million dollars in twenty twenty three. But he's now got a teammate in Max Scherzer, who's making forty million dollars a year. <laughs> you just laugh when you say those numbers. You have no choice. But you know, uh, based on you know the fact that Degrom is a lot younger, Degrom's numbers have been better than Scherzer's. You know, DeGrom's probably looking at, hey, hey, if he if you got him for 40 mil, where's mine? And that may be what it is going to take. And, look, if, if he shows that he is healthy and they can run him out there for 30, 32 starts this year, the Mets will keep Jacob DeGrom whether he opts out or not because they'll be, the, they'll be able to afford him. You know, unless somebody were to come up just, you know, for sake of a, you know, if, if, if the Dodgers said, hey, we'll give you 50 million. <laughs> I, I, nothing would surprise me. But, I mean, I guess that would be the only thing that might tempt DeGrom away.
But when you're talking about forty million versus fifty million, does the extra ten million really make that big a difference? It's more ego, I think, at that point than it is the actual dollars, because it's you know ten million dollars isn't going to change your lifestyle. So, but uh, you know, but it's interesting because usually when the opt-out things happen, guys are you know they kind of hedge their bets and say we'll see, and they don't announce anything about what they're planning to do until the season's over, until they absolutely have to. Degrom has come right out and said, right now, I'm opting out. So at least it lets the Mets know, uh, you know, what they've got sitting ahead of them, and they can start, you know, thinking about that all season long and decide, you know. And look, if Degrom is healthy. And we're in August, and he's got ridiculous numbers. Don't be shocked if they try to extend him then and get him out of the opt-out, even though they said they're going to wait till the end of the season. But I think his health is going to be uh, the bottom line here. And look, at the end of the day, he might change his mind. If he has another injury-riddled season, if he only puts up another 18 starts this year because he spends a lot of time on the injured list, guess what? He might say, well, you know what? I changed my mind. Because I got $34.5 million guaranteed in the bank for 2023. So if he's injured again, he won't opt out. No matter what he says now, if he's injured again, he'll take that $34.5 million and keep his rear end uh, right there at City Field. 46 minutes past the hour. I've got to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call. Got a few minutes left this morning. You know, when I was uh, talking about teams that are going to stink uh, and teams that uh, you wonder how they're going to be competitive, you know, one of the teams that I forgot is the Washington Nationals. Um, Now, I know they signed Nelson Cruz yesterday, um, a one-year deal for, I think, uh, 15 million bucks. And I know they have Juan Soto. But, man, uh, I'm not sure how competitive that Washington team is either, especially when you look at some of the other free agent signings that the Nationals have made in the last couple of days. Uh, who have they brought in? Uh, they just they just signed Sean Doolittle. And, and, look, I love Sean Doolittle. I actually follow him uh, on social media. Uh, he's great uh, as far as that goes. Uh, but Sean Doolittle's better days in the bullpen are long behind him. You know, and I know he was a member of that 2019 uh, World Series team, but uh, uh, they, uh, if they're banking on him being uh, a big part of that team, they're in trouble. Who else did they bring back? Anibal Sanchez. Anibal Sanchez didn't even play last year, and they just signed him to a contract. Gerardo Parra. Uh, great guy in the clubhouse, right? Great guy. But another guy that they signed, uh, they're bringing him to uh, spring training. He's a non-roster invitee. But, you know, they've got a bunch of guys outside of Nelson Cruz and and Juan Soto. They're going to be relying on a lot of young guys. Their rotation is not very good. Uh, you know, they're, they're planning on guys like uh, – uh, Kiebert Ruiz coming in to be their catcher. Kiebert Ruiz has 96 at-bats in, in Major League Baseball. Uh, Cotter Keeboom, another guy who has been uh, – they're excited about. He's only 24 years old, but, again, uh, has struggled uh, in his first year. Uh, Luis Garcia, another guy, 21 years old, but another young kid. Lane Thomas in the outfield. They've got a lot of young kids, and maybe they catch lightning in a bottle with a couple of these guys. I know especially – 
uh, Ruiz and uh, Keeboom are guys that they are very high on. But when you look at that pitching staff and you look at that bullpen, I, I don't know how competitive they're going to be either. Uh, Nelson Cruz aside, and look, uh, good for Nelson Cruz that he got a job, uh, his first uh, first stint in the National League, so that'll be interesting. Uh, but I, I had forgotten, uh, yeah, they're they're not going to be uh, uh, setting the world on fire, I don't believe, in, uh, in Washington either. Um, and talk about some mismanagement, and I guess we shouldn't be surprised uh, when it comes to the Los Angeles Angels, but a little bit of a... Uh, uh, I wouldn't call it a controversy, but uh, there was some comments made, and I think it was uh, by Joe Madden and a couple other people in the organization about the idea that perhaps Mike Trout uh, shouldn't play center field and they're going to have him play uh, on one of the corners because they think that that's a, a better way to prolong his career and, and help him uh, avoid injuries, yada, yada, yada. Uh, except here's the problem. Nobody talked to Mike Trout about that first. You know, my, Mike Trout, well, that's the first I've heard of it, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm the center fielder, and I plan to play center field. You know, maybe down the road, you know, he says, I've got nine years left on my contract. Maybe down the road, you know, something like that happens. But I'm a center fielder, and I want to play center field. <laughs> so, And then, of course, Joe Madden then has to clarify it with the, uh, uh, with the media later, and he comes basically says, uh, Mike Trout is going to be our center fielder, and that's that. Well, great. Uh, but it, And here's the thing. I was watching uh, the MLB Network last night, and um, Billy Ripken was on. And, you know, Billy, who played in, in Major League Baseball for a while, son of uh, – son, uh, brother of Cal Ripken, uh, he, he made a great point. The, the prevailing wisdom is that not playing center field, by playing one of the corner outfield positions – is actually easier and that it is uh, less taxing. And Billy Ripken said, where's the data on that? He said, because I'm not sure that it's true. I mean, what? Wh- why is playing center field so much more difficult? Other than the fact as a center fielder, you're, you're, you know, probably have to cover a little bit more ground on both sides. But where? why are you less likely to get hurt? His point is, and, and I think he's right, you're more likely to get hurt playing one of the corner outfield positions. Why? Because not only do you have to deal with the outfield fence, when you're playing left field and right field, you have to deal with the, the, uh, the stands in foul territory. When you're chasing balls that are down the line, you now have to worry about crashing into the stands. Not just the outfield fence, but now you're worried about the stands and flipping over into the seats. And, you know, so his point is it might be more likely you're going to get hurt playing on the corner than you are in center field. And you know what? I think he's right. You know, I think he's right. You know, I think I think that that uh, that theory comes from maybe the fact in the past guys that have been center fielders as they lose a step move out of center field because they can't cover the ground they used to cover and, you know and maybe they continue to play in the major leagues for another 4 or 5 years by playing on the corners but it isn't because of injuries it's just because you've lost a step you know and Mike Trout right now is like you know that's not an issue and frankly the biggest issue for Mike Trout 
playing a corner outfield position, if he's going, if they were going to move him to a corner, the only place they could put him is in left field. Why? Because his throwing arm is not very good. You know, look, Mike Trout's the, you know probably the best player in baseball right now, or in the top two or three anyway. But he doesn't have a great throwing arm. It's average at best, at best. And if you're going to have a guy in right field, you usually have a guy with your best arm in right field. Well, that's not Mike Trout. You know, and the Angels do have a couple of young kids, Joe Adele and and uh, I can't remember the other kid's name that can play center field. But if you're going to, but that would mean Mike Trout becomes the left fielder. You know, and, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I mean, his bat's still going to be in the lineup, and you know, and he can still cover a lot of ground. But it's not going to protect him from injuries. I think that's a, a fallacy. I think Billy Ripken's right on the right on the money. But again, this is just another one of these things, like you know, uh, with the Angels, open mouth, insert foot. Shocking. Uh, last thing this morning. How about this? With Major League Baseball, they love to screw around with things. Well, it looked like we weren't going to have the runner on second base to start uh, uh, extra innings. Now, word is is that that may uh, reappear. The ghost runner. I absolutely hate that. Most baseball purists hate it. I mean, I, I look. I, we can debate the designated hitter versus the pitcher hitting all you want. It doesn't matter anymore because now there's DH everywhere. But putting a runner on second base to start extra innings pisses me off. It just pisses me off. This isn't high school baseball or high school softball. You know, this is the pros. Play the game. But now it sounds like they are trying to bring that back, and they keep wanting to say it's because of, uh, you know, the pandemic. It has nothing to do with the pandemic. It's crap. But they may bring that back. But here's the, here's the other beauty. In the low A leagues this year, Major League Baseball has announced uh, that they are going to have challenges to balls and strikes. Just what we need. So we're thinking about trying to shorten games. We're trying to think about, you know, the pace of play. And now we're going to allow teams in the minor leagues, at least in, I think in low A, to challenge balls and strikes. They'll have three challenges a game. And if uh, and if they're successful, they get to keep the challenge. So, you know, and where will the, where will the appeal be to? They're going to have the automated balls and strikes, the computer umpires. They're still going to use the regular umpires, but the computer umpire will still be there, and if they don't like the call the umpires made, they can challenge it with the computer umpire and see if it changes, and then uh, uh, that will determine whether they, they uh, get to keep that challenge or whether they go from three to two. But we're talking about pace of play, and now we're talking about challenging balls and strikes. Jesus. Enough with the replays. It's bad enough that replays um, – you know, for plays in the field have gone, uh, have run amok, you know, where it's, you know, the neighborhood play at second base or whether somebody's hand comes off the bag for a fraction of a second and the other guy's kept the tag on. And so now all of a sudden you're out. They've gone, that's gotten way out of hand. Now we're going to challenge balls and strikes. I hope to hell that never makes it to the major leagues. I hope they blow that up very quickly. But good Lord, what a bad idea that is. Oh, my goodness. Just hideous that's going to do it for us here this morning we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the wake up call by the way no show on thursday i have to go to motor vehicle on thursday my wife and i are finally going to be able to be official down here in north carolina we came down moved down here in uh, november 
We couldn't get our driver's license yet because of the pandemic. You had to make an appointment. The first appointment we could get was the middle of March. So my wife and I are going to uh, get our driver's licenses and uh, register our cars in North Carolina finally after being here for four months uh, on Thursday. So we will not be here on Thursday, but we will have a show tomorrow. We leave it this morning with some music from Dolly Parton. Why? Because Dolly Parton yesterday uh, withdrew her name as a nominee for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Good for her. She doesn't belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I love Dolly Parton, you know, and we all know I'm a big country music guy, but she doesn't belong in the country in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Johnny Cash, I'm okay with. Johnny Cash did some rock, uh, early some rockabilly stuff early in his career. Dolly Parton has been pure country as country can be. She doesn't belong in a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Good for her for withdrawing her name. She's gotten kudos for doing it uh, from fans and uh, other artists, etc. Uh, and uh, but anyway, so because of that, we're gonna play a little Dolly Parton on our way out this morning. Here's Jolene. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.